So we are continuing in a little series on the church, on church, just titled Church. Sermon number one was church is glorious. It's an amazing, wonderful thing. Sermon number two was church is under authority. Christ is head. He has authority over his church. He rules it. This is sermon number three, and the title of it is church is for fellowship. Now, I'm not saying it's only for fellowship. There's lots of other things church is for, but this is the one we're singling out and looking at today. Church is very definitely intended by God to be for fellowship. So let me answer your question if you're not a believer. And you might say, well, what will happen if I believe on the Lord Jesus? Well, you probably know you'll get the forgiveness of your sins. You'll get the free gift of everlasting life. He'll give you a new heart. The Spirit of God will come to live in you. But here's another thing you'll get that you might not have thought about. you get a whole lot of brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you can have fellowship. You get a great big worldwide forever family called the people of God. Jesus spoke about this. He hinted at this when on one occasion he was speaking inside of a house and somebody came in the house and said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to talk to you. And he made this a teaching opportunity. And his reply to them was to look at the audience and say, who is my mother and my father and my brothers and sisters? And he pointed to them and said, but those who do the will of God. They are more family. It's more family when you're united by the Spirit of God and the blood of Christ than when you're merely united by, well, the blood of your father and your mother. So there's a new family in Christ, and church is very much for fellowship. Let's jump in. That was introductory. Let's jump into point number one. Here's what I want to assert to you. Here's what I want you to see first. Fellowship. Now, i got to pause there, or else somebody's going to come and tell me, you didn't say the word. After church, someone's going to tell me, you didn't say the word koinonia. All right, koinonia means fellowship. So fellowship, koinonia, it's a word that means having things in common. I got it, you got it, we share it together. We're sharing life in Christ together. We're sharing the things of God together. That's fellowship. Fellowship, I want to tell you, is an essential part of the Christian life. It is essential. What do I mean by essential? I mean, it's not a take it or leave it part. It's not a you could do with this or without this part. It's not optional. It's not you'll be okay with it, you'll be okay without it. No, fellowship is an absolutely essential part of following Jesus Christ and of living the Christian life. You say, well, show us that from the word. Where do you get that? All right, Acts chapter two would be a good place. There are other places. We're going to land first at Acts chapter 2. Let me show you that fellowship is an essential part of the Christian life. So it's, the, it's Pentecost. A whole lot of people have gathered in Jerusalem. Peter has preached a great sermon. As a result, 3,000 people were saved. What do they do? Let's follow this. Acts 2, starting in verse 41, really. So those who received his word were baptized... And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And what did they do? And of all the things Luke could have picked, like he could have said, and they all started reading their Bibles alone daily. They all started having family worship with their wife and their kids before dinner. Of all the things he could have told us, he picks out four. These are four things that were important. These are four things he really wants us to notice, four things these early believers did. And they're baby believers, 3,000 of them, 120 of them are more mature. 3,000 of them were just saved. What do they do? Here's what these just saved baby believers do, verse 42. And they devoted themselves. That's the Greek word proskartereo. 
What does it mean? It means they devoted themselves. It means they continued steadfastly in, as another good translation. To put it in very modern language, we might say, this is what they were really into. What are you into? This is what they were into. What were they doing? This is what they were really doing. And they devoted themselves to four things. Number one, to the apostles' teaching. The apostles said, hey, we're going to teach you all Sunday morning at 11, be there. They were there. They're devoted to that. That was not optional either. But that's not what we're looking at today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Number two in Dr. Luke's list is these people devoted themselves. They continued steadfastly in fellowship, koinonia, and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Luke picks slot number two in his list of four. Place number two he gives to fellowship. That's how essential it is. That's how important it is. They were devoted to it. It wasn't occasional. It wasn't optional. It wasn't unimportant. They were devoted to it. Why am I preaching this? Let's be like them. Let's be a church that is devoted to fellowship, also to the doctrine, the breaking of bread, prayers, but let's be a church that is devoted to fellowship. And we are only a church that is devoted to fellowship when you as individuals are devoted to fellowship. Amen? You get that? So we really want you. I'm preaching so that you might be sure you are really devoted to, you're really engaged in Christ-honoring, Christ-centered, godly, edifying Christian fellowship that nourishes and builds up their soul and yours, that strengthens them and you in the Lord. That's what this sermon is about. I meant to tell you that when the sermon started. I meant to tell you what the sermon's about and to jokingly say, so now that you know, we can ask Jason to come up and lead us in the final hymn and we'll all go home. But this is what the whole sermon is about. It's about get more fellowship. Like eat more chicken, only it's get more fellowship. That's what this whole sermon is, get more fellowship. Unless you are absolutely up to here and it's already coming out your ears, get more fellowship. That's what the whole sermon is about. So we see that in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to it. Then a little bit later in chapter 2, verse 44, we'll pick it up. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the needs, to the pro, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, that's not something the church is always supposed to do. That was a unique time. They'd all left home. They were in Jerusalem for Pentecost. They prolonged their stay. They haven't gone back to their homes and back to their jobs yet. They're still in Jerusalem. Food's getting scarce. Money's running short. People start selling stuff. They believe Jesus is coming back in three days or whatever. So they had that wrong. Their eschatology was wrong. It led to wrong living. Hmm, wrong eschatology does that. So this, is, this has some historical particularity. This is not the model for all Christians in all times. It's not communism. It wasn't we force you to sell everything and give it to us and we'll own it and distribute it to everyone evenly. No, it wasn't that. But they were doing that in that unique time. Now, what were they also, they were they also doing that is more normative for us, verse 46. And day by day, well, again, we can't do that because you got a job. And we have to work. But they didn't have jobs right then. They're on vacation for Pentecost in Jerusalem. So they had no jobs. So what did they do? Every day, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, 
praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want you to notice day by day, when they had the opportunity, man, day by day, they were attending the temple together. That's fellowship. They were getting together with brothers and sisters in Christ every day. It's like if, have you ever been, I've been, have you been, I've been many times on a vacation where you're away from a week, but it's a Christian conference. That's what they were, they were at the great conference. They were away for a week, no work to do. So what they do every day, fellowship, the ministry of the word, taking communion together, and they were really into that. Would you take a vacation for that? They did. And what are we seeing here? I'm trying to make the point. Fellowship, you see, is not a non-essential thing. It is a very essential part of the Christian life. It is not optional. It's not something you can choose to do or not do. No, it's very important for your life and growth in Jesus Christ that you enjoy fellowship. Some of you are really, 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 really introverted. Bless you. We love you. I read 1 Corinthians 14 earlier. Every member of the body of Christ is needed. And the hand can't say to the eye, I have no need of you. No, we need the very introverted members and their gifts, and we need the very extroverted members and their gifts, and everybody all in between. But I just want to say, if you're on the introverted side, I don't even care if you're a total hermit. I don't care if your name is Jeremiah Johnson. You all know who that is? Like he left civilization to go up in the Rockies and get away from people. I don't care if you're Jeremiah Johnson. Like you need oxygen and like you need food and like you need sleep, you need brothers and sisters in Christ and you need fellowship with them. I'm just telling you that. It's essential. It's essential. So that's our first point. Let's be a church that indicates by our lives fellowship is essential at Cornerstone Church. Here's point number two about fellowship. Furthermore, fellowship is a powerful antidote to apostasy. Why would it be so important? Why is it so essential? Many reasons. Here's one. Here's one. Because fellowship is a powerful antidote to apostasy. What is apostasy? It's walking away from Jesus Christ. It's departing from the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Apostasy is saying, yeah, I don't believe all that anymore. I may I still count myself a Christian, but I'm not that kind of a Christian anymore. That's apostasy. That's leaving off with Jesus Christ. And how am I not supposed to leave off with Jesus Christ? I mean, come on. There's a busy devil and an alluring world and there's sin remaining in my heart. How am I supposed to make it and persevere to the last day? How am I supposed to keep on following Christ with all this going on? Fellowship is a powerful antidote to walking away from Christ. A powerful antidote. Powerful, not weak, not lame, not ineffective, strong. It's like Wonder Bread builds strong bodies in 12 ways. I'm dating myself again. Who, who else is old in the room? Al, do you remember that? Yeah, me and Al, we got that one. Robin back there in the back. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Chris, all right. I feel like I'm in romper room now. I'm naming everybody. <laughs> and I'm dating myself with that one. <laughs> it's hard not to date yourself when you're old, right? All right. So anyway, back to the sermon. Come on, with me. Back to the sermon. So fellowship is a powerful antidote to apostasy. Where do we see that in the word, Heartland? All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 3, a primary text on this. Hebrews 3 addresses this exact thing. Why do I want fellowship? It's a powerful antidote to apostasy. It's intended by God to be that. Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. 
If, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, flip that around, if we don't walk away from Christ, if we don't deny the faith, if we don't turn back, which would indicate we were never really regenerate, we never had God's seed in us, we were never really born of the Spirit of God, or we wouldn't be able to walk away, he would hold us fast, he would keep us. But if you claim to be in Christ, then we'll see a fruit in your life. We'll see lots of fruit. One fruit is this. You'll keep on believing in Christ. You'll keep on following Christ. You'll keep on naming the name of the Lord. We are his house if, indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope, Hebrews 3.6. Well, what do I do? Because the world is tempting and there is a busy devil. Let's go down a little further, Hebrews 3.12. So take care, brothers. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. You're walking back from Christ. Take care, don't do that. Leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care, don't do that. Well, what's, what's, what's there to help me? What has God provided and intended to help me take care and not fall away? Verse 13, but exhort one another every day. There's the antidote. There's exactly what the primary text prescribes for your weakness, for your temptation, for the possibility that you are prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. What do I do? How do I persevere? Get yourself involved in fellowship. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. When is it no longer called today? When you're dead then you don't have any more todays. So every day you're drawing breath, every day you wake up and you're alive, exhort somebody, be exhorted by somebody, lest you get hardened. Let's read on. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Is he right? Man, is sin deceitful? Oh man, the devil's tricky. Sin is alluring, and he dresses it up in pretty feathers like a fishing lure and dangles it in front of you, and you say, ooh, gope. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I'm afraid I'm going to be hardened by sin. I feel myself being drawn in. What am I going to do? Fellowship. 4, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if... Indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You want to go to heaven? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. You truly saved? We'll see some fruit, a lot of different fruits. One fruit is this. You will persevere. You will continue. You will keep following Christ. You'll keep repenting of your sins. You'll keep going back and back and back to the cross. What helps you to do that? Exhorting one another every day as long as it is called today. Let's be that people. Let's be that church. A church who are concerned about each other, persevering. A church of people we're exhorting one another and encouraging one another and strengthening one another. So you get together or you're out in the hallway after church. Come early, stay late. Come early, stay late. Come early, stay late. Did I say that three times? Do that because there's prime fellowship time. There are others, but that's prime. And so while you're staying late, you approach somebody and maybe... Maybe one time you do let your opening words be, what do you think about the Orioles this year? All right, but nah, don't waste your time on that. Let your opening thing be, how are you doing following Christ? Are you, are you remaining strong? 
You facing any big temptations right now? How can I pray for you? Get some spiritual conversation going. Initiate it. Make it happen so that you and they are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3, he brings it up again. It's so important it comes up again in Hebrews 10. What's the point that we're seeing? Let me go back and give it to you. Fellowship is a powerful antidote to apostasy. That's also in Hebrews 10, verse 23. He says, let us hold fast. That's what he wants you to do. That's the same topic. It's the perseverance of the saints. Let's hold fast. Don't let go of Christ. Don't drift away. Don't turn and walk it back. No, let us hold fast the confession of our hope and in this manner without wavering. I don't want to be a wobbly, need wavering Christian. I want to drive straight down the narrow path that leads to everlasting life. Well, one of, my, one of my sons has a Honda Civic. It's a Honda Civic, but it's got cameras that'll keep you in the middle of the lane. How cool is that? Some of you have that on your car too. These are my cameras to keep me in the middle of the lane. But anyway, but he's got a Civic and you can let go of the wheel, literally, and the cameras will go bump back in the middle of the lane, bump back in the middle of the lane. It'll do that. What, what are God's cameras to keep you in the middle of the lane while you're following Jesus Christ? It's other believers. Bump your fellowship. Bump your fellowship. Bump your words of encouragement. Bump your words of admonition. And this is what the text specifically tells us. If you want to hold fast your, your, the confession of your hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful, then here's what you do. Verse 24. And let us consider... So you're being considerate of this. It's not just if it happens, it happens. No, you're going to make it happen. You're thinking about other people. You're on your way to church and you're thinking, man, Pastor Stan, I'm completely making this up. He looked kind of gloomy lately. I've never seen you gloomy, brother. We've been together a long time. Just want them to know he's not really a gloomy. But he's seen kind of gloomy and down lately and he's hanging in the corners and not fellowship with anybody. When I get to church today, I'm going to look for Pastor Stan and I'm going to give him a word. A word of encouragement. That's what you're doing. Let us consider what? How to stir up one another to love and good works. How to stir up. So here's an illustration for that. Christians are like old buckets of paint. You have any? With what? You have any old buckets of paint? Like we got old buckets of paint. They're down in the basement under the stairwell. And there they are, and they're, they're labeled. This one's for the living room ceiling and whatever. They're, all, they're, they're down there. It's not very orderly, but they are. So there they are. So I had occasion to open one of them very recently. So I opened it, and what was inside of there? Did it look good or bad? Yeah, it looked bad. It was like all the pigment, I guess, had settled to the bottom. There was this kind of yellow-brown fluid liquid on the top, and then all the color down below. And it was terrible. So what did I do? Being cheap, I just got the little stick, right? And I stuck the stick in there and I started. And after a while, it's looking real good and all the colors back into life and so on. So what a stir stick is to paint that has fallen down to the bottom in a big glob, other Christians are to you when you're slowing down in Christ. And you need to be stirring other believers and they need to be stirring you. So we're all like paints, paints, cans of paint, and we're all stir sticks. And we need each other. Illustration. And let us consider how to stir up one another. I want you involved in love and good works. I want you following the Lord closely. How can I stir you up to that? Well, when can I do that? I'm a busy guy. I have a job. I got a wife. I got kids. I have parakeets. 
when can I, we do, when can I do all of that? Well, he goes on and tells us when he expects we'll be doing that. And it's not Thursday afternoon that you take off work and go do some exhorting. No, it's Sunday. He locates this quality and kind of fellowship into the gatherings on Sunday in verse 25. So he adds, so let's stir one another up, not neglecting to meet together. Ah, that's when he foresees you doing the stirring. You don't have to take off work on Thursday. I got to do my stirring, my daily stirring. No, he, he sees you on the Lord's day when the people of God gather for the ministry of the word and the breaking of bread. And he says, you don't want to forsake that. You don't want to neglect that as is the habit of some. They're the ones who are the sheep out of the edge of the pasture. They're the ones who are the sheep who are getting near the wolves. They're the ones who are starting to drift away. They're the ones who are starting to walk away. That's the habit of some but not you, you, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, every day we see the day approaching by one more day, so more than the next day. It's one day closer, whenever it is. I don't know when it is, but I want more fellowship, and then now I want more, and you never get to a point where you can say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm how old am I? I'm 69 now. I don't need it anymore. No, you need it so much the more. So, we all have persevering to do. How are we supposed to do that? It's an alluring world and a busy devil and a deceitful, sinful heart. How am I supposed to do that? Fellowship is a powerful antidote to apostasy. Let's be Christians who just fill each other's lives with godly and edifying fellowship. Amen? Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe you need it. Here's a third point. Fellowship, however, with the wrong people can be a powerful means toward apostasy. And the Bible teaches us this as well, so let's pause here and note it. Fellowship with the wrong people can be a powerful means toward apostasy. Listen to what Paul writes. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He writes, do not be deceived. He says that once in a while. Why does he say that? Because you're likely to be deceived. You're likely to get tricked about this one. So he says, don't let them trick you. Don't let them fool you. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins or corrupts good morals. So don't be deceived. Think, oh, I can be with them. It won't hurt me. I can, I can hang. I can run with that group. It won't hurt me. No, I heard a preacher say long ago, if you run with a, a skunk, you're going to stink. His name was Steve Hartland, by the way. I heard me say that years ago. All right. So when are people bad company? Well, you can be with anybody if you're operating from a position of strength. But if you're operating from a position of weakness and they're a bad influence, you're in trouble. What do I mean by a position of weakness? I need them. I need them to be my friend. I need this relationship. I need them to really, really like me and really, really want me. I need to be in with them. I need to have them letting me spend time with them. And they're a bad influence. Oh, man, you're in trouble because you're in a position of weakness. Now, if you're in a position of strength, you're more like, oh, they need me. I need to go shine some light. I need to go speak some words into their ears. Uh, Now you're operating from a position of strength. If you're operating from the strong position, then okay, go, go. You can be with Charles Manson if you want. You'll help him, all right? But not from a position of weakness. Somebody illustrated this to me years ago. It's a little quaint, but you, maybe you haven't heard it, so I'll just tell you. So here's a chair, and if I stand up on the chair, and if I say to Pastor Stan, you come up here, and you're on the floor, try and pull me down, and I'll try and pull you up. Who wins every time? 
Yeah, it's always easier to pull somebody down than to pull somebody up. It really is. And, and so it is in the Christian life. So fellowship, you want to be very careful about fellowship. With the wrong people, it can be a powerful means toward apostasy. The new trendy word for apostasy is deconstructing. I'm fine with that term. Yeah, that's what they're doing. They're deconstructing the faith. They're deconstructing their own faith. And very often, the path of deconstruction is a path that has on either side of it bad influences. The wrong people speaking into your soul. The wrong people at the wrong time. Why are you hanging with them? They're only going to draw you away from Jesus Christ and the things that pertain to life and godliness. Fellowship with the wrong people. Right? Parents with children. Do you have any concerns at all about who your kids spend time with? Yeah, like mega, like huge, yes, and so you should. Bad company corrupts good morals. Here's point number four in our sermon today. Point number four, and there are only five of them and then some conclusions. Point number four, and fellowship, however, I want you to note this, it is something you, it is primarily you should think of it this way, it's something that you provide to others. Now, why am I saying that? Because a lot of people are like, what's wrong with this church? Nobody's loving because no one ever comes over and talks to me, and you're standing there waiting for somebody to come over and talk to you. Well, they're standing over there waiting. They're saying, what's wrong with this church? Nobody's loving, and they're looking at you. She isn't loving. He isn't loving. Why aren't they coming over here to talk to me? You can't stand and wait for fellowship to happen. You make it happen. Be the fellowship you want, and you'll get the fellowship you want. Fellowship is something you provide to others. Where do you get this? Well, so many passages could work, but let's go to Luke 22, 32. Here's the Lord Jesus talking to Peter. Peter, you're going to be tempted. You're going to deny me. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, but you're going to get close to fail. But when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's you wanting more fellowship. So I'm going to go strengthen my brothers and my sisters in Christ. And in so doing, I'll be receiving strength from them as well. And the godly fellowship will be strengthening and edifying. Or Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want to do good to believers. Now, in the context, he's talking about providing for their material needs, but there's a principle. If that's important, then certainly providing for their spiritual needs is important. I want to do spiritual good to everyone, especially to those who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. So I'm thinking, what kind of fellowship can I provide for them? What do they need? How can I be in their life? Can't be in everybody's life, but be in somebody's life. Or, this gets better, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another. Who is this written to? The rank and file of God's ordinary people. This is not to the pastors. This is not to church planners. This is not to supercalifragilisticexpialidocious Christians. This is just to you. This is to me. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So you're not passively waiting for someone to do that for you. You're actively doing it. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, and we urge you, brothers, who? Brothers, not just the pastors, the people of God, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. What are we seeing? Fellowship is something you don't sit and wait for. Fellowship is something you provide. It's something you give. It's something others need. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. I will love them and give them fellowship. 
I will love them and seek to engage in mutually edifying, spiritually oriented conversations that have Christ and the kingdom of God at the center. It's okay to talk about the Orioles sometimes, especially this year, right? Good year. It's okay to talk about the Ravens sometimes. But if you come to my house or I go to yours and that's all we talk about all night, I go home very disappointed, right? You do too. I go home very empty. Like, couldn't we get past that? Yes, I want to provide some godly and edifying fellowship that will build you and me up. So let's be that people. You be that person. Don't stand in the corner and wait for fellowship to come your way, complaining. Why is no one talking to me? You go talk to them. I know some of you are very introverted, and that's very hard, and I get that. And we love you because it's the body of Christ. Bless you. You have other talents that may come to the fore, more than that one. But don't stand in the corner and complain. Come early, stay late. Here's point number five. Ha, you're going to think this is interesting because it is. You might not have expected this one. And I really, really, really want you to understand and feel that fellowship of a very deep and beautiful and profound nature occurs when we sing together in church. So what I'm, what I'm going to be after here is I hope you just cherish that time. I hope you long for it. I hope you can't wait for it. I hope you look forward to, oh, you mean we get to go? I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. You mean we get to go up to the house of the Lord where we're all going to sing the songs of Zion? I'm going to hear my brothers and sisters and feel the friction of their love for Christ as the words come out of their soul and across their vocal cords and into the air and into my ears. And I'm going to feel what's going on in their soul corporately as we all gather. I'm going to feel my whole assembly of my brothers and sisters in Christ. When do I ever get to feel all of your hearts? When we're singing. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 5, verse 19. What do we do when we gather? Here's what you do. Addressing one another. All right, let me, here's a quiz. This is a trick question. When we gather and sing, so far in this verse, for whom are you singing? Yes. Some of you would be more spiritual than Paul. Well, you should have put God first. We all know God is first. God's going to be later in the verse. But Paul is emphasizing for us something we need to hear, and that is there is a very important horizontal nature of what's going on when we gather for worship, and we are there to address one another. When do we get to address everybody else in the church? When you're singing. Hint, that means they need to hear your voice. I talked to a guy after the first service and said, he said to me, they really don't want to hear my voice. <laughs> I told him, brother, in glory, you'll really be able to sing. We said more than that. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord, there's the vertical, with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you come to church and you want fellowship, sing with your brothers and sisters. Sing to them and sing to the Lord. Sing loudly enough that they can hear you. Men. I want to hear a room full of men's voices too. We hear the women. They're higher. They carry better. And, and who was that guy? If I can find the guy who told men that it's not masculine to sing, I'm going to throttle him. There's nothing more godly masculine than lifting up your voice in the assembly and making known the praises of the Lord Jesus. 
Sing, guys, sing out. Unless you're that one who addressed me earlier, then maybe wait for glory. Keep it down a little bit. <laughs> Pastor Stan says, no, just sing out anyway, right? I sit right here up here near, I can testify. He does sing out. He, Paul repeats this in Colossians 3. Let's look at it. Here it is, Colossians 3:16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's the prerequisite. First, we want a rich indwelling of God's word in our hearts. Let's be those believers. How much of the word do I want? Well, just a little teaspoonful, maybe a thimble. I got a thimble here. Fill my thimble up with the word of God. No, no. Let the word of Christ dwell, it lives in me, man, richly, not poverty, not barely, not almost extinct, not hard to find. No, it's really in there richly. Okay, what do I do then? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. When do I get to do that? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You get to teach God's truth to the entire assembly every time we say, now let's sing the next song. You should cherish that and love that and want to contribute to that. That's deep, rich, spiritual fellowship. Better than the fellowship our two parakeets have when they sing. We have two parakeets. We do. What's, uh, we have two parakeets. Uh, one is named Pablo and the other is Diego. They're Spanish parakeets. And we play a lot of music in our house. I mean a lot of music. We play it kind of loud a lot of times. We play a lot of music in our house. And man, anytime you turn on music, they go nuts. They're just singing and singing because they want the fellowship. Even if there's nothing going on in the house and it's quiet, they will start up singing. And when one does, the other does, and they're singing together, they're having birdie fellowship. They are. I'm not kidding. They love this thing. It does something in their brains. I don't know what it is. If Debbie and I are talking, very often they want to be in the conversation. They, ours don't say any words, but man, they just over there chirping and talking along. And if we stop, they stop. It's really cool. Our little babies, Pablo and Diego, they're green and yellow and black. This is better than birdie fellowship, folks. This is Fellowship that comes from the grace of God in a human soul, that comes from a rich indwelling of the word of God, that comes from love for God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Fellowship on the planet probably does not get better than gathered worship, my opinion. And the singing, man, the singing is rich. So sing. All right. I got five quick applications. Here they are. So number one, this is what the whole sermon was about. Get more fellowship. That's what the book of Hebrews said. So much the more, as you see the day approaching. Eat more chicken? No. Get more fellowship? Yeah. Honey, we need more fellowship. What can we do? Have that conversation. I need more fellowship. I don't know how to get it. Talk to one of your pastors. Talk to a community group leader. Talk to somebody. Speaking of community groups, prime place for fellowship in this body of Christ. There's about, I think it's 14 or 15 groups that meet all different times and places in the week. Some of them male, some of them female, some of them mixed, some of them everything. And so, man, if you need some fellowship, get yourself in a community group. And you just can't get too much fellowship. When it starts coming out your ears, then it's getting good, all right? It's just starting to get good. How can I get more fellowship? Point number two, well, give more fellowship. 
Again, don't wait for it to happen. Be it. Make it happen. And point number three, look like fellowship. What do I mean by that? Two things. Here's one way in which I'm exhorting you to look like fellowship. When I go out in the lobby after church and I see your face and we make eye contact for a moment, your face can either encourage me, yeah, come on over, or your face can discourage me, don't come near. Right? Like, I noticed this at the gym. I'm a very social person. I love to talk to everybody. Like, even the ones that obviously don't want to talk, I want to talk to them. I feel a need to. But, man, I can read faces pretty well, I think. And so, like, I can see that face. Don't even bother with him, man. He, don't, don't go near him. Don't go near him. And they're all hymns because I don't feel like I ought to be talking to hers at the gym, right? Debbie's not with me and all. So, so him, him. But there, there are certain faces that say, oh, yeah, right here. Let your face say that before and after church. Let your face say, I would like some godly now. Like there's a sign advertising, godly edifying fellowship right here. Look like fellowship. Here's another way I want to encourage you to look like fellowship. Now, this could get, this could get difficult because here we are in the building and some of you are sitting alone and some of you are sitting in different ways, but I just want to encourage you. Sit together. We are, brothers, we are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's let the body language of the meetings of the body of Christ show that. I just want to encourage you, come in and sit with somebody. You see somebody sitting alone, tap them on the shoulder and say, me and my family, we're going up there. Would you join us? Look at all those. We're going up there with all those other people. And, and just glob yourselves in there so that when you're singing... And they're singing, you can hear them, and they can hear you because you're near each other, and they can hear your amens, and you can hear their amens. And we look like a people who love each other so that when guests come in, they don't say, ooh, there's one person there and one there and one there and one there. These people don't like each other. No, they ought to come in and say, behold how they love one another. Look at the level of fellowship they have in this church. Look like fellowship, please. And number four, and this one's really important, I think, and plan your fellowship. It might, automatic, might not automatically happen. Again, you get together and all the talk was about the ravens, and you go home hungry. It was just ravens talk. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not all I want. I want some things about our souls. I want some things about the Lord. It was all ravens talk. What do you do? Think ahead. Consider all right, we're having them over. We're meeting them for coffee. How are we going to get some edifying conversation. I'm going to ask some questions. Let's see what questions should I ask. I might ask them, hey, you seem to really love Christ. What was the most formative thing in your development as a child of God? And off we go. Or I might say to them, this is not true, but I might say to them, man, my marriage is struggling. You seem to have a great marriage. How are you two following Christ and it's giving you that kind of a marriage? Or you might say, uh, how do you fit daily Bible reading into your day? You're meeting with a woman. She's a mother. She has 23 kids, five dogs, 57 sheep, but she reads her Bible for an hour every day. And you want to know, you ask her. So you're done with the ravens now, and you and she, and, and you, you say to her, say, by the way, I heard you read your Bible an hour every day. Do you really? Oh, I do. I, I love it. I, nobody could take that time. for. How do you fit that in your day? And now off you go. You're off and running. So you have to premeditate. You have to think about. You have to plan your fellowship sometimes, and it'll make it so much better. Point number five, and then I'm done. And may I just ask you to cherish good fellowship. It is one of the best things on the planet. It is riches on the earth. 
It's better than most other things you could possibly have or experience. Soul-nourishing, strengthening, godly fellowship. That's no small, worthless, weightless thing. Cherish it more than good coffee, more than good food, more than a new sofa, more than anything else you might name. Cherish good fellowship. Amen. May the Lord make Cornerstone Church into the kind of church he wants us to be. In an even greater measure, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your holy presence. And I'm praying and we are praying that you would draw needy sinners to yourself, Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would put it in hearts in this room right now to turn, to turn to you that you may be their God and they may be your blood-bought child. May they call upon your saving name. Lord Jesus, save me. That's all it takes, friend. Lord Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. You're a savior. I need you. Please have me. Please forgive me of my trespasses. Please give me that free gift of everlasting life. Call upon the name of the Lord. Many of us have, oh Lord, deepen and strengthen the level of fellowship we enjoy with one another as this local church, this body of Christ, to the good of souls and to the glory of our Savior, in whose name we pray with thanksgiving, amen, amen. All right, so would you like some fellowship with one of Cornerstone's pastors? Yes. Here's how we can make that easy for you. Just text the word pastor to the number on the screen, and one of our pastors will be reaching out to you this week. Fellowship. Thanks. Pastor Brian, getting used to being called that yet? Almost. Almost? (laughs) Almost. Lead us in communion, please. Thank you, Pastor Steve. If... uh, You forgot your elements, they are in the uh, back of the church. And uh, just for a reminder, uh, this table is 